I'm using visual aid today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in our Good morning and thank you very much for being here with us and especially for all our guests who are coming from St. Mary in uh, Falls Church. Since Father David is uh, on vacation, it's so good to have all of you to worship with us. Uh, I hope that you'll always feel at home here in our community. Uh, today we have a very interesting encounter between Christ and the centurion. I just want to highlight one aspect about this encounter that might be relevant to our lives even today. You notice that the centurion, the, God, the, the guy who has people under his authority, comes to Jesus and asks for something very simple. Just go and heal. He's asking for the healing of his own servant. But this guy is not from among the Jewish people. He's a Gentile. He's someone who does not believe in the God of the Old Testament. He does not know the God of Israel, but he has heard enough about Jesus to the point where he comes to him and asks for healing from him. But also he recognizes how powerful Jesus was with all the stories, all the healings that he had heard before. And so what was amazing about this encounter that it ended up with being one of the most important things that Christ says that this guy who's from the Gentiles had more faith than everyone else in Israel. The people who were preparing themselves to receive Christ, the Anointed One, this one person who was an outsider had more faith than everyone else. And all that he said was very simple. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. That word of God, we have seen it in so many different places. One of them is in Genesis. The word of God in Genesis was creative. Because he said a word, the word was created. Because he said a word, life came into existence. Because he said the, a word, everything that we know existed. It's only his word that was so creative that the entire existence came into existence. In this encounter, it was only a word from Christ that was enough for the servant of this man to be healed instantly. We know from that same hour that guy was healed. And so the question that this encounter leaves with us today, it's very relevant in a world where we use talk so much and sometimes is not as useful or as powerful as the Word of God. In our life, do we value our words enough to be as creative, because we are created after the image and likeness of God Himself, do we value our words in a way that make them creative, that make them healing, that make them inspiring, we know some people love the art of words. So in poetry and in creative art uh, writing, we know that so many people are very inspiring. But on the other side, we know that some people, when they say a word, it might be destructive to someone else. How many of us might have heard a close person to their life, a loved one, who heard them once and forever? 
It's a word that might build a person and sometimes a word from a loved one might be destructive. So today our invitation through this story is to look how we use our words, how we talk and write and comment on others and interact with others because words are powerful. Words are not just means of communication. Words can be creative, can be healing and can be inspiring. So let's learn from our Lord today and see how this is very important even today, to use our words and to be very intentional about the way we use our words. Now, the main topic that I want to mention, because this is something very interesting as well, is you heard in the epistle today that St. Paul who's writing to the Hebrews, to the people who knew the temple of Jerusalem, he talks about the temple, the holy of holies. He talks about details that happened in the temple where only in the holy of holies, for instance, the, uh, the high priest is able to go inside only once a year to offer for the sins of the people. And what we as Orthodox Christians sometimes forget that what we do today is a continuation of the worship of the temple of Jerusalem. What we do is a continuation and fulfillment of what happened in the Old Testament in the time of the Jews when they were being prepared to encounter Christ when he is incarnate. So that one thing that I want to mention, and if you have the bulletin, you can go back to that. When he talks about behind the second uh, curtain, that's what is called the Holy of Holies. We know that this curtain torn in two parts when Christ was crucified. But the Holy of Holies is the most holy part of the Temple of Jerusalem. As I mentioned, it's the place where the high priest can go there only once a year. It's not a place where they go in and out all the time. It's only once a year the high priest is the only one who is allowed to go in there and to offer for once and for the entire year for the sins of the people. And in the Holy of Holies, it says that there is the golden altar of incense where the, the high priest is going to offer incense to God, but also it has the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant that is covered by gold from all places. And what is that, the Ark of Covenant? This is the one thing that from the time of Moses, it was among the people. It told them about the presence of God among his people. And in that ark, there were three things. The first of them is the golden urn that had the manna. The manna that the Jewish people received when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. They kept some to remind them that God fed them for 40 years for three meals every day and that God is the one who sustains them. Then the second one is Aaron's budded rod. This was, there was a conflict among the people in Israel about the priesthood of Aaron and then God gave them a sign that his rod budded and gave life. The third one is the ta tables of the covenant which had the Ten Commandments. Now this was the Old Testament in the Holy of Holies. The continuation of this are three things that we continue to have on the altar table. This is what is called the tabernacle. This is not the actual one. You can see that the tabernacle that we have is still there. But this is a small 
container that is continuation of the urn that had the manna. It has a door and inside that door it has a small drawer here but in some other virgins might have something else. Usually we keep communion in here. It is Christ who is the manna that came from heaven. So now we keep, keep communion here so that when someone is sick or about to die and we don't have a liturgy that's going on that day, the priest can take from here and go give him communion. But it's a reminder that Christ himself is the manna that came from heaven. The other one is the rod of Aaron, which its continuation is the Holy Cross, the cross that the priest uses for the blessing of the people. Why? Because the cross of Christ is the fulfillment of the priesthood of Aaron. Through his sacrifice, the fulfillment of any priesthood is Christ himself. The third thing is the tables of the um, the table of the tables of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The fulfillment of that is the Holy Gospel. Is the stories about Christ who came to fulfill the Old Testament, to fulfill all the the Old Covenant with a new covenant that is written on hearts. The altar table itself is the throne of God. Because there we do the consecration of the gifts. There Christ himself is being crucified. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, there was the endemency, the piece of cloth that has Christ coming down from the, uh, from the cross. And it has relics of martyrs. Because from the very beginning, Christians did the Holy Eucharist. They did the liturgy on the tombs of martyrs because they sacrificed their lives to Christ. And that sacrifice is a replica of Christ's sacrifice himself. So, sometimes we think we are blessed with having a very beautiful church. We have icons, we have things that are so beautiful that is, are mesmerizing when someone comes inside our, our, our church for the first time. But we forget that this is not just there because of beauty. We don't have things that are gold just because we want to show how much money we have. Or we put all these beautiful icons because we want to show the world that we can afford doing this. This is a mistake and misunderstanding how the church functions. As I said, only about the altar, it's a continuation of something that happened for centuries. That what happened in the Old Testament was continued and fulfilled through Christ himself. And we continue to do that. The high priest going into the Holy of Holies, who's the high priest now? It is Christ himself. Because the, in a few minutes we will say, Christ is the one who is offering the offering, and he himself is the offering, because he's the one who was crucified on the cross. So Christ is the high priest, but also he's the offering himself. And the priest is doing this, or the bishop is doing this, as a representative of Christ, not because we have any extra power that we have received. We have received the grace so that we can do that, but actually the offering is coming from Christ himself. The one thing that I want to highlight also is the beauty of the worship space that we have. As I said, sometimes we are distracted by how beautiful it is. It is, but it is functional. 
It's not just for the sake of beauty. It's not for the, for the sake of just showing what we can do. One very example that I mentioned before. The reason why we do icons, and those who are engineers or architects know exactly what I'm talking about. If you look to any of the four corners and you see the lines of the icons, they don't meet in infinity. They meet in the one who's looking at them. If you stand before an icon that has lines, they don't meet in the infinity. They meet in you. Because they are invitations. They are invitations to pre-taste the kingdom now. So these lines meet in you to tell you, I want you out of here. I want you to recognize that where you are belongs somewhere else. These icons are reminders of where we belong. That we belong among the saints. We belong among the people who know God and who experience God. So icons are beautiful, but for a reason. To take us out of where we are. One thing that I don't know if probably many of you knew when, when, the, when the church was uh, first built and with all the icons. The Mendelion in the very middle. Do you know the story of this one? Where it has the face of Christ and the two angels are holding it? This is the, the beginning of the story of icons in some way or another. This dates back to the 4th to the 6th centuries. There are accounts of a piece of towel that Christ's face was imprinted on it. The story goes as this. A king from Orpha or Edessa, now in northern Syria, part of Mesopotamia, the king there, his name is Abgar, he sends emissaries to Christ because he had leprosy. So he wanted to be healed and he knew about the healings of Christ. And so he sent people asking Christ to come and visit him. Christ was busy with his ministry. And so the only way, the story goes this way at least, that he washed his face and dried it with a towel and gave it to the emissaries and went back to Abgar. And he was healed by that. That imprint of his face. That's not the only reason why we do icons, because the Word of God was incarnate. He became a human like every one of us, so we can depict him. We can draw pictures of him or icons of him. But that story in every church that is painted, this one icon is always there in the middle. Because it's Christ who left us with his face so that we can be healed as well. So there are so many things about the, aspect, the, the, uh, the space that we are in. But I want you to leave here remembering that when we come here, beauty has a function. To remember that this is about pre-tasting the kingdom. About reminding us that we belong somewhere else. Not that we're going to flee this world. This is not, we're not escapists as Christians. We don't want to leave this world and just finish with it. No, this is not what I mean by belonging somewhere else. We belong to a reality that is different from what we see outside. We belong to a reality with, where God is the king. And we want to show that. We want to show that not only in our space of worship, but we want to show that in every day of our life. That even our words that I was talking in the beginning are healing, creative, and, uh, uh, creative and healing to everyone that encounters us. So that this space, this beauty, 
will be going out with us to show the kingdom outside these doors. Amen.